The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I couldn't sell dope anymore. I owed money to people that you don't want to owe money to. Like, like you don't get beat up. You come up missing. This is the Knockin' Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knockin' Doors Down is all about. Joseph Rojas joining us here on Knockin' Doors Down, of course, a singer of Seventh Day Slumber. It's a real pleasure to talk to you because you are one of those signs of recovery and uh, a higher power that your life can be turned around. Man, I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be here. And uh, man, it it's crazy because I'm looking back and I'm thinking that that wasn't really my life. Uh, because now where I'm at, and, and I, I'm married now to this amazing, beautiful, amazing woman. We just celebrated, you know, 22 years of marriage and I got like three kids and they love their daddy. And, and I didn't have a dad growing up, you know, so to be able to be the father to my kids that I never had, um, it's crazy. Let's talk about where you're at now, the, the work you're doing in addition to the band and, and everything you have going on, because then I want to kind of jump back and talk about your childhood because, uh, you know, you brought up your father, which that that I don't know about you, but I noticed the vast majority and especially in my case for addicts, um, we have some sort of trauma that's rooted in childhood and, and we're trying to escape that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, today uh, I'm the president of a, of a record label called Rockfest Records, and uh, we're distributed by Universal Music Group, Capital Records, and uh, which is a, an amazing partnership and talking with the folks at Capital every single day, uh, being able to own my own masters for once. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like wild because, you know, it's funny, man, like... Uh, I've been in the music industry for, you know, almost 25 years and we never owned our own masters except for when we first released our independent records, you know, we're trying to get signed and we get this deal with Warner brothers and, and it's like, awesome. We don't own our masters. And then we get to deal with this Christian record label, you know, um, word entertainment. And then we have a deal with, like uh, EMI and Tooth and Nail and BEC and we're like these are all labels and they're majors and then we don't and it's exciting but we don't own our masters and we didn't you don't really know what that means 20 years ago. I didn't know what that meant like 20 years ago you know what I mean and and now I do now because that, that I can't do nothing with those records uh, they're they belong to somebody else but yeah. but I'm singing on them and uh, no so it's crazy so I own a label distributed by the same company that owns a lot of my masters which is capital and so so they gave me a deal and and uh we have several artists on our label a band called the letter black is on rockfest records band called fireflight on rockfest records um i signed a band called relent actually the drummer uh or the 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 lead singer of relent is the percussionist for the band il nino okay and so yeah, so relents on the label amongst the giants, the protests, a bunch of other bands. So like this is this is what I get to do, and plus I'm in Seventh Day Slumber, um, and so we're touring all over the all over the country. Uh, just released an album called Death by Admiration, and it is this is my life. Um, I don't have another job, so it's crazy. 
it's neat how when we get uh, clear of mind, uh, heart, and our spirit and faith that we can really push forward and go after the stuff that, that we could have only dreamed of at one time. Because I, I was checking an interview that you had done, uh, you know, talking about your dad because it was a very abusive home. Yeah. Well, my dad used to to beat my mom. That's that's the only memory I have of my dad. So I, I didn't really grow up with my dad. Mm-hmm. I was I was almost four years old the last time I saw my dad. He was on top of my mom beating on her. I still remember her bleeding, crying out uh, for help. Still remember the ambulance, the sirens. It's crazy because you. It's hard to imagine. I say I didn't grow up with a dad. I did grow up with a dad. I grew up with a memory of a dad. And it's it's hard to believe that you're, you're like, how do you remember this? And you were only four years old. I can't really remember anything at five years old or six years old or good or bad, really. Um, to, to, you know, but I remember four years old and my dad beating on my mom. And then I remember eight years old and being abused by babysitters. But as a young little kid i don't remember anything other than but i remember that and i remember it vividly and so my dad left uh well he got arrested and he got out of jail and um he left the country i never saw my dad again after that until much later on in life and by then i was already on dope and i was already a drug addict and you know and i hated my dad i had so much hate for my dad and i you know i just said it in another interview and I and it was I rewatched this other interview and I was like, man, like it, it hit me uh, what I said. But I was like, how could I long for someone so much that I hated? I hated him and longed for him at the same time. I despised him and wanted him at the same time to be in my life. And. And it and, and it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Yeah. You know, I I longed for this man who like traumatized me mentally throughout these years. You know, I I longed for him to put his arm around me and say, I'm proud of you, son. I longed for him to teach me how to treat a lady. I longed for him to teach me how to shave and take me camping like the other kids got to go camping or fishing. Those were the things I longed for, but at the same time, and I was longing for them from him, but at the same time, I hated him. And it, it's just, it, like I said, it doesn't make sense, but it does. Well, and I think for, for us that with the tumultuous home, you know, it's like we, we see the things when we're a kid, like you're saying, the fishing and all those things and the shaving and how to treat a woman. And I, I can relate to what you're saying with a lot of that. And so that's kind of in the fantasy mind of how it should go as opposed to our reality. And it's, it's, I I know for me, and I'm sure for you, I was trying to escape my own reality with, with my substance use or whatever it was, you know, I was trying to escape that because I had this picture of how life could be, how I could be really, because if we had that mentor, right. Then here we are, we're a much more whole man when we, you know, growing up and go into adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, we want the pain to stop. We, we want, we, we just want to stop. We want to shut it off and, and anything that will do that for us, that's what we run to. And I did, I just wanted it to stop. I just wanted the pain to stop. I wanted, I didn't want to think about it. And, you know, I was 12 years old and I, that's when I ran to drugs and alcohol at the age of 12, I was 12 years old was also the first time that I thought about suicide. 12 years old, man. Like I got kids. I got a son who's 15. I got a son who's 17 and a son who's 20. And I I couldn't imagine like them going through that. And I know that so many kids today do go through that and it, and it, and it's heartbreaking, but, um, but man, I just wanted it to stop. And man, I, I took what I, whatever I could to make it go away. What was, uh, what was it like at 
at home, I guess, you know, dad left, you were about four. So mom, was it you, know, you and your mom or I can't. Yeah, it was my mom and my brother and I, I have an older okay. brother. He's two years older than I am. And uh, my mom worked like so many hours. She was, she worked at Sears and uh, in the furniture department. So she worked on commission, you know, and it was like, if you don't, if you're, she had to be there for a, the sale of a chair you know, wow. just to get some extra money and raise two boys on a single mother's income, no child support. Um, and because uh, I told you, my dad left the country. He did. So there's no child support there. There was nothing. So she's raising two boys. We're staying with babysitters um, that are abusing us. My mom doesn't know. Um, we were told by a babysitter that if we said it, I mean, and her, she, her name was Miss Botheo and she was one of the most evil people that I had ever met in my life. I mean, she would abuse us, kick us, beat us. And finally she had beat my brother so bad that it wasn't hideable anymore, but she would tell us that our mom wouldn't believe us if we told on her. And, um, and it was, it was, it was really hard to watch her treat her own kids so good, but to, to treat us so hateful. And then my mom pulled us out of there and we ended up going to stay with a friend of hers, uh, during the day while my mom was at work. Um, and then that her son, 18 year old son, abused my brother in a different way while I was in the room. And so it scarred my brother, scarred me. Um, it was like a, a lot at home. Like my brother became an introvert yeah. and I became like a menace to society. And my mom's trying to like deal with it all, but she's got to work. We didn't have like a, God in our house, you know, I mean, like I say God in our house. I mean, it wasn't a Christian household. My mom believed in God, but not like she believed in God. Like you shouldn't steal, uh, rob people, you know, you shouldn't whatever hurt people or whatever lie. Almost like, the commandments approach. Yeah. 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 Like the big man upstairs, you know, he's watching, <laughs> right. you know, and so, uh, not like a relationship with God, but anyway, it was, so it wasn't we went to church a few times a, a year. Um, and, uh, like I was born Catholic and, you know, you don't, you know, where I come from and with my family, dude, you don't, you don't have a choice in that matter. So right. I would tell my mom, she's like, you're Catholic, you know, cause I, I tried to go to a, a Baptist camp one time. Cause this dude, this guitar player dude that went to school with me, he was a shredder dude. Like he was ripping solos, dude. And I wanted to be like that guy, even though I didn't believe in God. I was like, man, I don't know. I'd be a Christian for that, dude. Like, if I can play guitar like that, you know what I mean? And that's how I felt. I, I didn't even believe in the God he was talking about, but I started hanging out with him. I wanted to go to a – he asked me to go to this Baptist camp with him. I asked my mom. She was like, no. And the reason – and I and she told me, you're Catholic. We don't – we're not able to go – we don't go to these kinds of things. Like, Because uh, she was told that if she went to another church other than a Catholic church, that she was – that it was – she could lose her soul. And, um, like she really believed it and she didn't want me to go. And I'm like, I'm an atheist. Like, I don't care. And she's <laughs> like, she's like, you're an atheist Catholic. I don't care. Like, you were born Catholic. So now nah, it was, a, it was a trip. That's how we, that's how we grew up in the household that we grew up. And uh, there was, uh, but I was in trouble with the law, um, in and out of like behavioral centers and institutions stuff since I was young. Um, because my mom, she, she was trying to do what she could to, yeah. you know, help me. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I want a better gut health, more energy, and to optimize my immune system. If you're like me, you hate popping pills, taking vitamins, well I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And I wanted to see what the hype was all about. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. No matter what your lifestyle is, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, AG1 can work for you. Plus, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. AG1 costs less than $3 a day. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership of your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. At that point, you know, you, you said your brother became an introvert and I'm um, pretty sure with the trauma that you shared that he went through, um, unfortunately, I can relate to that and so many can. Um, yeah. But you were kind of the hellion that you were out there. So is it kind of running with the crowd when you first started finding substance? Was it alcohol first, weed? I know cocaine was was kind of your drug that you were planning to take your life with. But um, yeah, I mean, what where did it start first? Well, um, started with drinking first, you know, I, and it was running with the crowd. And uh, a lot of these dudes were older in the neighborhood. And we, I grew up, I mean, we, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood when I was little. And my mom did everything and tried to get us to at least a better neighborhood. And we moved into this uh, trailer park. And the trailer park to me was like, other people thought it was like, you live in a trailer park, you know, whatever. But to me, from where I came from, Dude, that trailer park was like country club. I had my own room and it had air condition in it, like a you know, and so anyway, but but it was still rough. And 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 um, uh, but I started drinking, hanging out with the older kids in that area, and they had alcohol and stuff. So uh did that, um, smoked a little weed, but weed, uh, I'm allergic to it, so it um I always said I was deprived as a kid because I was allergic to weed, <laughs> but like, you know, some people are allergic to it and I was one of them. Like it, I bro- it made my, it made me swell up and like, it wasn't a good, it wasn't, it wasn't a good high for me, but anyway, so I, um, from then would just like pills and my mom had uh, Xanax pills and stuff. Uh, cause she had anxiety, struggled with anxiety and stuff. And so, I'll be popping those pills. And, uh, and then by 14 is when I found cocaine and that was like the game changer for me, you know? And I was like, this is it. You grew up, uh, what area of Texas was it? Victoria, Texas. So it's called the crossroads. Like you're in the middle of Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Corpus Christi, and all the dope runs from Mexico up a 59 right to, it gets distributed in Victoria, Texas. That's where I grew up at. Yeah, I was going to ask how at 14 you were getting such a supply of of cocaine, you know, and it's all over the place, man, all over there uh, and cheaper, too, because you're right. You know, you're right there. Like it, 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 it goes up to New York. It goes up to California. It goes up to uh, Boston and all these places. But it, uh, you know, and. And, uh, but it starts right there where, once you started using, I mean, you, you know, you're sharing that, that yes, your mom improved where you were living, you know, which, uh, it's so cool. Like how our brain can go back. Like, you know, people take so much shit for granted, don't they? It's just like, oh, I, I got my own room and an AC for getting, you know, that there, there can be some really bad living quarters, man. Oh uh, yeah. You know, like, I yeah. know. Well, when you go from when you go from uh, I remember being really little and and it was so hot because we're in Texas, like, you know, and, you know, I'm Mexican, but it's hot for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, how do white people do it? No. But, but no, like like I'm, I'm seriously like in this in, 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 in when it gets hot enough in the summer, we get to all go in the living room and and then turn on the AC. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and so, so then when you get to go to a place that actually has an air, con- like air conditioner in your room, like that's gangster, bro. Like you're, you're <laughs> like, dude, I, you can't tell me nothing, dude. I got an AC. <laughs> I got my own room, you know, but uh, no, it, it was my mom trying to just better our lives. And then she was able to buy this, this, uh, little three bedroom repo brick home in, mm-hmm. uh, and that was all she ever dreamed of was like a brick home, not a big home. Don't get it twisted, but yeah. a brick home, just a home made of brick, man. And my mom found this, this repo and it was like, 
I mean, dude, people were like, dude, no. And but she saw the beauty in it and uh, and she bought it and she worked hard to fix that thing up. And it was in a better neighborhood and, uh, you know, got out of the trailer park, even though I was cool with that. But uh, but anyway, it was man. But still, you know, I had those friends. But once you are still once you've had these people that you're trying to impress and that they've accepted you because they're not accepted themselves, you were all looking for acceptance, then that's who you run with. And that's so even though I lived in a little bit better area, you know, and uh, I still was like looking for acceptance and in any way I could get it. Yeah, you were a tribe at that point, you know, and, yeah. and when you can find those other people that are looking for uh, outside solutions to inside problems, man, it's easy to just intermingle. Yeah, it is, man. I, I, so I'm curious within all this, because great, you, you got a killer voice, uh, you know, I've been, things. been totally digging on the tunes. You play guitar. Where did music amidst all of this, you know, the trauma, the hardship, the running with the crew? How did you even find music? Well, Slayer was one of my favorite bands. And there was this. Uh, I wanted this BC Rich guitar. And, you know, Carrie King played like this. You know, I mean, people know the guitar, but if you don't know it, it's, it's just a really cool looking guitar yeah like widow maker yeah dude yeah. exactly yeah and i wanted that guitar and uh, of course you know i'm raised by a single mom we ain't, she ain't got that kind of money for a bc rich but she did work at sears and they did have a sears catalog in that sears catalog was a like knockoff of that same guitar and i wanted it and my and i was about 12 or so i think and my mom ordered it from the Sears catalog because she got a huge discount. And that was my first guitar was that copy of a BC Rich. And we didn't, couldn't even afford an amp. So my mom got this amp at uh, my guitar center. I wish uh, <laughs> at, at, um, at a pawn shop, but it was a, it was like a busted amp. I mean, it was about that small and it was, like, I think it was called a gorilla amp or something, but it was, it had a hole in it, man. And it, but dude, that's, that's how I learned. Like, listening to to those those tunes and like metallica and stuff like that trying to learn we couldn't afford lessons or anything could barely afford the guitar so i just started playing that and that's when music came into my life and I, it consumed my day and that was that was really uh, honestly i think that because i talk a lot about how i was you know using drugs and alcohol even at a young age but i can tell you this i would have been dead a lot sooner and i know i would have if it wouldn't have been for music Sure. Even with all the bad stuff I did, it still preoccupied me a lot and enough to where, you know, it was a lifesaver for me. Were you getting out there and starting to play in bands at one point? Did you, you were getting yeah. more confident even in the depths of, you know, because like so many addicts, your your addiction was continuing to ramp up and you're having to find nefarious ways to support that habit. Yeah. Well, look, man, I mean. I was I I was ready to rock the minute I got my guitar. I didn't need no lessons. I didn't know how to I didn't need know how to play it. I just knew that I could get a little distortion on it. And dude, that's all you need. And and so I started a band and right like you know 13, 14 years old and and uh and we were a hardcore band and we sucked. <laughs> I mean horrible band. And so none of us knew how to play. We were we were called the front which literally was a great name for our band because none of us knew how to play. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> uh, but, dude, we'd play the skating rink. we play a little all-ages stuff. And and I, I can't even tell you if we – we were playing Corrosion of Conformity songs and, like, uh, D.O.D. I don't know if you remember D.O.D. or, you know, S Stormtroopers of Death and – like, you know, that's what we were trying to play. Actually, I we weren't necessarily playing it, but we were, <laughs> we were trying to. And, dude, we were just, I don't know, man, uh, minor threat, too. We were playing sure. some minor threat, you know, just I don't know, just a, a, a mixture of different stuff. And, um, yeah, that's we're rocking out wherever we could play. 
And Joseph, I'm getting this vision when you mentioned the roller skating rink and you're talking corrosion of conformity and some like mom going, what are they, you know, just freaking out. Oh, yeah, dude, dude. We And then, uh, then the fact that we sucked at it made corrosion of conformity sound even worse. You know? <laughs> like, dude, he's like, these guys suck. That's literally the devil that we're watching. It, it was crazy, man. Those are some good times, though. I'm not gonna lie, man. Like we're having having a good time playing music. Like my best memories are just with a guitar in my hand, you know. Other than obviously getting married and having my kids and that kind of stuff, but but like some of my best memories when I look at it is me like rocking out, having fun, man, on on stage and being being one with the crowd that's out there, you know. I don't know your perspective. You know, we've had many a people on here, you know, everyone from Bam Margera and Charlie Sheen that, that, yeah, hey, look, to be honest, um, I had a lot of fun when I was using until it wasn't fun. Um, what point, because I, I, I know there is a point in there where all of a sudden you started, you know, you were doing illegal things, including selling drugs to start to get your drugs. How high? Did your habit escalate before you just decided, you know, I I'm done, which I believe your I'm done was an attempt to take your own life. Yeah. So people, it's hard for people to, uh, uh, it's harder for people unless they were addicts to understand how could you could use this much cocaine per day. But I was using about $400 a day worth of cocaine and, um, to the point where I couldn't even sell dope anymore. Like I couldn't sell dope anymore. I owed money to people that you don't want to owe money to. Like, like you don't get beat up. You come up missing type of people like where I'm from. That's they're about it. And so, um, yeah, man, I, I was, uh, probably about 19 at that, at that age, man, where I'm like, now it's, spiraling seriously out of control. I mean, I already had a problem, but this is now where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting locked up. I'm in trouble, you know, looking at 10 years in prison, uh, just jails, institutions. I've been locked up from, from Texas to California, man. And, um, and so I, I knew that, uh, I wasn't going to live past 22. Like I, I knew that. And I was, and I accepted it. Like, I just wasn't going to live past 22 years old. But when I was 18, my mom, uh, she, she risked hell to see my life changed. And what I mean by that is I told you she was born Catholic, like told if you go anywhere else, you're going to lose your soul. And, um, but my mom was so desperate for help for me. Like she would come visit me when I was locked up. She's the only one that would come visit me when I was locked up. And, and she, uh, she was so desperate for help for me so bad. She risked hell. Like she finally went to church with this lady, uh, who had been inviting her. And I don't know the whole story behind that. I, it was so long ago, but she finally went to the church with this late, the crazy church out by the airport where they raised their hands during the praise and worship. <laughs> and, uh, and so my mom went and she had an encounter. She had a, a real encounter with a living God. It's one thing to believe that there's a God, uh, even, even to know that, that God loves you. It's another thing to, to experience him and know him for yourself. And that's what my mom, she had an encounter with this God. And then she would come tell me, hey, she'd say, mijo, God has a plan for your life. He loves you. And, and, and he and, and you know, and I, I would say, I'm just a worthless drug addict, even if you're right. And there is this holy, righteous God in heaven. Like, what's he want with a worthless drug addict? If God can really see all the things that I've done, see, I can hide stuff from you. You know, I can hide stuff from you. You don't, you don't know all the stuff I've done. And I, you know, I pray to God, all the stuff I've done doesn't come out somewhere, but I promise you. And I'm saying that right here live, you know, like it, it I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm ashamed, embarrassed, and could be back in prison. You know what I mean? But at the, at the same time, what I'm saying is this, that even though I can hide from you, I can't hide from God. So 
People have left me over the things they didn't know I did. Like you will leave me over a Facebook post <laughs> and I'm supposed to believe that. And that's without you knowing everything about me, all my real failures. But you're mean to tell me that God can see everything and that he wants me. Nah, I don't buy that. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard for me to believe that. But my mom would say, he doesn't see the same thing you see when you look in the mirror. He doesn't see that. He doesn't see a worthless drug addict. He doesn't see a throwaway. Like he sees his son who he loves, the apple of his eye. And my mom would pray for me, man. And that did something to me. It did something. And, and that was like, it was, it started messing with me, you know? And I, uh, I still kept going down that road because I, it was hard for me to believe that there's, there's no way, but, but, uh, and you know, here my mom is risking hell and thank God she did. Cause she found out that she could have that relationship with God herself. She doesn't need a middleman. And, um, and it was a game changer for her life changing for her. And it was the start of a life change for me. And so anyway, but finally I, I ended up homeless on the streets of Austin, Texas, I was living out down by, down by the labor hall, uh, down a van by the river. <laughs> uh, but no, I lived, which is funny because we just played South by Southwest. Uh, oh, that's too, awesome. Yeah, not too far from where I was homeless. And man, I mean, literally living on the streets, eat, like looking for trash to sleep on. Mm. And uh, because the Salvation Army was full or whatever. And, um, and dude, uh, I didn't want to live anymore. And I... And I started to believe that there is this God, you know, but I didn't think he wanted me at this point. And I used to always say I was an atheist. I still sometimes you'll hear me slip that out because I've said it for so long. I don't believe I was an atheist. I, I just didn't believe that there. First of all, I wasn't sure if there was a God. So I was more agnostic than I was atheist, because mm -hmm. how can you really be sure that there is no God? Yeah. And and so but. So I would always say I was an atheist, but really, I just didn't know. And then more, more, more so it was like, if there is one, what would he want with someone like me? That was the deal. And also, if there is one, I hate you, you know, like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I felt. Like, how could you let a kid grow up the way I did? Yeah. How could you let a, like me grow up without a dad? How could, like, I had so much stuff, dude, going through. Finally, I made the decision to take my life, dude. My mom is the one that came, brought me back to Victoria from Austin, just not too far, about an hour and a half, two hour drive. And she brought me back, got me cleaned up, but I never felt right. And I didn't feel worthy of love. Yeah. And that's when I made the decision that I'm, I'm done living, man. I only had enough dope to really last for the night or whatever, man. And um, I was always embarrassed to tell this part of my story so you know, early on, I, I would just not want to say that I made the decision to take my life. I just would always say yeah, I was getting high and it went wrong. I mean, I, I made a decision. I was done living. You know, I never wanted my mom to know that. Um, but that's and she knows, obviously, now. Sure. Um, but uh, she she walked in and found me as I uh, right when I was overdosing. I overdosed in front of my mom on her living room floor. And in the back of an ambulance, I had my own encounter. Um, with, with Jesus, man. And I, I make sure to say his name because I'm not ashamed of his name. I don't care if it's, if it's a mainstream show I'm doing a Christian show I'm doing, doesn't matter. Like he saved my life and changed my life. And I, and I say it boldly. I said it in the middle of Austin, Texas, like I'm alive today because of a praying mom, but but I'm alive today because God never gave up on me, even when everybody else did. Hey, you know, and it's uh, a, I'm grateful that you did have that spiritual awakening as for us, 12 step people off and that, you know, that yeah. ability to receive that spiritual awakening. Um, after you had that in the back of an ambulance, I mean, was it, was it then it, did you start like, Hey, I'm putting in the real work here. Did you get involved in any sort of recovery group counseling, anything else? What was, what was the aftermath of that once you got out of the hospital? Yeah. So, um, 
Well, I'll tell you, it took me two years to get completely clean off of dope. Mm. And a lot of people don't like that part of the story because you're supposed to believe that I walk up to the front and some preacher puts his hands on me. I drop to my knees, get back up. And all of a sudden the bills stop coming in and my car has a full tank of gas all the time. And like it's nah, I mean, it didn't work that way for me. Now, I do believe that people can be healed overnight. Don't get me wrong or healed on the spot. I believe in I believe in that. Like for real, I've seen it. But for me. It was a process, man. And, and, um, and, and so it took a couple of years, like I was clean for like three months and I started going, um, to, uh, this group that was being, uh, was being held at the church. Cause I, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot straight with you. I had a problem with, with NA and AA because I was forced to go to them at one point court ordered or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and, but also here's what, here, here's my biggest beef too with it is even sometimes today, not, not all of them, obviously, but sometimes today, like when I'll go, it's like, yeah, my name's Mark and I'm, uh, you know, an alcoholic and it's like, Hey, Mark. And he's like, yeah, so today sucked. I, um, lost my job. My um, wife hates me. My kids don't talk to me anymore. Honestly thought about ending it all, but by the grace of God, I didn't drink today. And I'm like, back then when I was like getting high and stuff, I was like, dude, why don't you drink? You have nothing (laughs) left. You know what I mean? Like, 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 I thought not drinking was supposed to, I mean, are things supposed to get better? And if they're not supposed to get better, why get sober? Because like I can at least drown this out till I die. Like seriously, that's like the thought. But um, I can mirror that exactly what you think. I get what you're saying, Joseph. One hundred percent. And it's really, like, that, dude, that was my mentality. Me. Exactly. Like, show me that this that that not only does it work to get you clean, show me that my life can be different. And that's what I needed to know, because if my life can't be different, I don't want to go through it drunk. I don't want to go through it sober. I mean, and that that made sense to me. Like, if my life can't really be different, why do it sober? And so anyway, um, but no, when I when I finally like had that encounter with Jesus, I I, like um, I started going to this church where there was a bunch of people that that had uh, you know, addictions and things like that. And, uh, and they were like, like really happy and, and sober. And I'm like, this is something different. And, <laughs> and, and I, they let me know that I, that I can be, I can have a good life, man. And, and, and while I, I can't leave my past behind, I can make peace with my past or I can't change my past. I can make peace with my past and have resolve in my life and not have to hate myself for the things that I did. Like I am not the things that I did. And, and dude, like that was game changer too. Like I was starting to, well, wow. I, I don't, cause I couldn't forget about all the things I've done. And they're like, you don't have to forget about the things you've done. You need to make peace with the things that you've done. And you need to be able to forgive yourself because you will never move forward if you can't forgive yourself and they're like, God forgives you like God almighty who saw everything that ever you ever, all the messed up stuff you ever did stuff you forgot about. He still, he saw it and he still, he still chooses to love you. You need to to love yourself. And man, that began to change. So yeah, I started getting involved, but then I get, get, you know, mess up again and fall. And it was these same people that stayed there though. They stayed there when, and stayed there for me and welcomed me back, dude, and he, you know held me. Um, and so, but I, I I know that if I would have put in more of the work, uh, it wouldn't have been two years of me like, you know. But sure. but I will say that, um, man, that encounter in the back of that ambulance and waking up in the intensive care unit, and it was just I could feel. I when it, when I got high after that, like I was clean for like three months or four months, then I got high, but I didn't stay out long. I just, you know, a week or so at this time, but then I'd get high and stuff, but God ruined getting high for me. Like he ruined it. It just wasn't the same, man. I, I'd be, I'd be getting high dude going, ah, why am I not? This isn't fun. And I don't feel, I feel like there's so much more for me than this, man, I got to, chill like i gotta 
I got to get back to where I was. And so anyway, yeah, but I mean, it, it was crazy, like how, how that has all happened. And, and now I'm, I'm in the position I'm in, the place I'm in and have the life I have. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. In reconciling our past, which really can be hard, is somebody said to me when it came to you know, a higher power, whatever it is, you and I, it seems to be more in line, somebody else, it's different, What you know, I, whatever your faith or whatever your higher power, um, you know, it's great that you have one, but the, um, the way they said to reconcile it was you, um, God loves you and you still from this day forward, everything that's happened can serve purpose for him. And to say him and the, you know, the term as him, God, but, you know, for me, that really helped when it was like, okay, um, because in my sobriety, it's presented so many different things and yeah. that, that I never really knew would come up, you know, let alone genuine connectivity. Um, like you said, I, the, sh- the shit stopped working, you know, like you couldn't get me drunk enough. It just didn't work anymore. It was miserable. Yeah. It, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's called chasing the dragon, man. Trying to get that that same high again, dude. It's not coming back. No, nope. it's not coming back. As a matter of fact, it's gonna wrap its arms around you and choke the life out of you while you're trying to get that euphoric feeling. And all you're gonna, it, it just doesn't come back. And we just keep chasing it because we want the pain to stop. We want this. We don't want to think about the things that we're thinking about, man. And it. And it hurts so much. Like I have this song that I wrote called sober and, mm-hmm. um, and it's, you know, whenever we play, I said this, this song's called sober and all everybody will yell tool, you know, <laughs> from the, from the audience. But, uh, but no, it's like uh, the song sober. It talks about how I, um, I just want this to, to stop, but take me back to the days when, when I couldn't feel any pain and and I'm and it's a real honest raw song about getting sober, but sometimes you're just like crying out, like let me go back to the days where I couldn't feel this stuff because now I'm having to face it head on, and this hurts. This is like crazy, and I don't want to. And and that's why we don't ever deal with those issues as addicts because we because we'll 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 try to sit through the pain for a little bit, but then it it's. I don't want to sit through this anymore. And then we grab something to take that pain away. And then you've never dealt with the real issue, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that, and that issue, it does hurt to deal with, but I promise you that it's worth it. I promise you that it is worth it. Like nobody in their right mind would want to sit through the pain if there was not hope on the other end. And I'm telling you right now to anybody watching, anybody listening, that there is hope on the other end. I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes. I know it feels like the pain will never end. I know it's like, hey, Joseph, but you don't know my story. Trust me, you don't know my whole story. And I hope nobody ever finds out to tell you the truth. But at the end of the day, it is worth it in the end. It is worth it. And I promise you, if you'll just sit through the pain, it won't even take as long as you thought it would take. Because we're going, man, sitting through the pain. This is taking forever because to us, that hurts so bad that even a minute feels like a year. Yeah. But if you'll just sit through it, I promise you, there is hope and victory on the other end. That's real talk. Absolutely is. Let's talk about then when do you start really building a life for yourself, meeting the missus, family, um, how uh, seventh day slumber. You guys have been around. How long have you been around? I'm drawing a so blank. since 97. The end, okay. Yeah. The end of 96. So 97. I'm, man, I'm 48 years old, dude. 
Uh, I've been doing it a long time. <laughs> But uh, my wife tells me I look 18, so you know you do I'm look good. Hey, I'm f- I'm gonna be 44 in August, so hey, I'm I'm up there with you. You know, no hey, big deal. Yeah, I got I, man, I got to keep up with these youngsters out here, man. But uh, no, so it started changing. Uh, I met my wife when we got married in '99, and um, and dude, I was still kind of fresh out of. I ended up back in jail after I like became a Christian. Um, so yeah, I borrowed a car without asking and, uh, they, they <laughs> kindly to it. So, <laughs> so I ended up locked back up. That's why, dude, I want the listeners to know, man, like I want them to know, like it's, we make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes you just go forward from there and you never have those issues. But for those that have had those issues and are listening to me now, and maybe you didn't ever come back from it because you felt like, oh, I just messed up too bad. Dude, you haven't, man. You can come back from this. And so, um, so anyway, I, I like had just gotten fresh out of jail or whatever. And I met my wife and, um, it was love at first sight. And, and we were married like three months later and we've been married over 22 years, had three beautiful kids. Um, we, after we got married, we started, um, touring the country in a beat up Mitsubishi Montero (laughs) with with a borrowed trailer, little five by eight trailer. And uh, some band members that would roll with us and our dog named Trustin. And, dude, we were all um, my my wife is just a she's an awesome, awesome person, awesome woman. And um, she's hot, too. So that's like <laughs> pretty awesome. And, I, and, you know, I didn't have no success either. So I don't want nobody going, oh, it's easy to say that when you got a big band and everything. It's like, nah, dude, it's called game. Learn about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we were in a Montero. Yeah, bro. <laughs> what part of Montero did you not understand? Right. Dude, it's uh, crazy. And a borrowed trailer, you know? Right. So, yeah. But that was that was the starting, you know, of things started to shift. And uh, I started to see people actually hear about, like, they, they, oh, I've heard of you guys before or whatever. And then got uh, offered a record deal and. Uh, it was an independent label um, called Athenia Music Group. It was a black gospel label. We were the only rock band on a black gospel label. But they saw us play at this, this coffee house in Kansas City. And the president of the, of the label was there at that, at that coffee. It wasn't just a small coffee. It was kind of like a bigger like coffee venue area. Sure. And uh, he saw us play and offered us a deal. And we released a a record with him. And then from there we went, ended up, um, doing some stuff with, um, we, so Warner Electra Atlantic yeah, yeah. and word entertainment, uh, which is word is like the largest Christian record label at the time. Um, and then from there we ended up getting signed to EMI, uh, which owned tooth and nail BEC, um, solid state. And, uh, so we, signed to that and we were there for 12 years with EMI uh EMI um and tooth and nail and um and then from then it was uh they got bought out EMI got bought out by Capital which was owned by Universal so that's where we stayed until I uh said hey I I want to own my own masters and so I'm done with all of my obligations um and they're like well hold on what about having, um, you know, doing, we give you a distribution deal because they still wanted to work with me. And I was like, like, they're not, UMG is not just handing out distribution deals. No, you know, universal and capital are to get a distribution deal with them is like, it's, it's super hard. So to be able to them make that offer to me. And then I, I, it didn't seem like that was real, but it was. And now, we have Rockfest Records and artists on our label and um, have a great relationship with Capital, UMG, and I own my masters. No, that's a, so many things for people that may not understand. I mean, that's literally, you know, you're on a label. They can take your stuff, throw it in a TV show, a movie, a, a tampon commercial or whatever without your approval. But now it's it's your stuff. And so many of my favorite artists, you know, Prince and Motley Crue come to mind right off the top of my head. And I believe Metallica got all their masters back too, uh, where it's the artist actually 
gets the money for, I don't know, the work they put in it in the art form that they created. I don't know. It's a little bit crazy, but yeah. Well, you know, some of those artists and so many artists and even us, like you've, you sign a deal and, and we did, and I honored our deal. Like we made our label a bunch of money and, um, and obviously, you know, not, not Motley Crue numbers or any of that, or, but, or Metallica numbers, but you know, you think about those bands that signed a deal and they've already paid back their recoup many, many times over, and they still don't get to have their masters. And, and it was like, it hit me after years of doing this, like, man, I'm, and capital never did anything bad to me. I got to say, and, and I, I'm, you know, and, and I, I love, I love working with capital and UMG. And I know that there's other people that would say different, but I I've had nothing but a great re- relationship with them. Even with them owning my masters, I knew the deal I signed. I just didn't understand the value of it until years and years later. And then you see, man, you understand what the real value is. And so now my job as uh, just a human being that in this industry is to help other people to not have that same deal, even if they're not on my label, is to just go, hey, man, really be careful kind of what you're doing, because this you may not see it now or even for the next three years, because you're like, we've never recouped. We'll probably never recoup. And our records only sold three or four thousand units or ten thousand units. But one day one of your song pops off or what, you know, or, or a years down the road when your third or fourth album does well. And then now you've gone platinum, you're going to be going, dang, dude, I, I don't know the masters to that. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. you spent all that time and you still broke. Still broke in the yeah. van down by the river. <laughs> uh, hey, Joseph, I like to do some uh, fun, random questions before we uh, leave you with the final thoughts. Uh, I always ask for words of encouragement and positivity. So uh, what do you say? Some fun questions. All right. Let's do it, man. All right. Uh, throw me out like uh, three of your top, uh, top favorite bands that you've been able to tour with. Um, that I've been able to tour with. I want to say, uh, there's a, there's a band called disciple that I love those dudes a lot. Been able to tour with them, a band called, um, project 86 is a heavier, hard, hard band. And, uh, Hey, another band that I really like a lot. That's doing, that's really got a new amazing record wolves at the gate. Okay. Yeah, these aren't super like huge, huge, huge bands, but they're bands that I I like their music. All right. I'll check it out. Uh, let's talk uh, three influences for you when, you, you know, you mentioned obviously Carrie King, but uh, who else falls in there guitar player wise? Well, guitar player wise, um, I I would say. Um, I mean, this is this is going to sound so 80s but Ingve Malmsteen and oh heck yeah you know but Eric Johnson is another sick guitar player that that I love and then a guy that is probably my all-time favorite that people probably didn't even hear of but his name is Andy Timmons and he was the guitar player for an 80s rock band called Danger Danger oh yeah but if you look I'm telling you all those guitar players right now that are listening don't don't sleep on this dude you go look up Andy Timmons and you're going to see what I'm talking about. He's the sickest guitar player I've literally ever heard and had the opportunity to play with and do, you know, have that dude on there. But um, yeah, but three bands that I love Soundgarden, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine. Right on. Uh, if they were to make a movie about your life, who would you cast to play you? Dave Navarro. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care that he's not really an actor. <laughs> he could pull it off. Dude, dude I'm telling you, Dave Navarro looks like he's what 50? And that dude yeah. looks still like, man, I want to be Dave Navarro, man. I want to be, I want to be Dave Navarro now, but I want to be Dave Navarro from 2000. <laughs> and that's who I want playing me in the in the movie. Uh, somebody I remember uh talking about Dave Navarro. And like, man, how does he look that good? And they're like, oh, he must dye his beard or whatever. And I go, I, I, my quote myself, I said, motherfucker, I dye my beard. What are you <laughs> Bro, talking who are you, about? Who are you telling, man? I, what do you think I did for? I came on the 
on the podcast, dude. Yeah. Don't judge Dave Navarro. Oh, a bunch of judgmental suckers out here, man. Absolutely. What's uh what's one thing people might be surprised to learn about you? Maybe it's a, a hobby that people don't know about or something that you're into that uh might be surprising. Um well people don't know this, but I used to play in a country band years ago. Really? Yeah. And uh, I actually like country music a lot. That's pretty cool. So for those that are watching or listening that have uh, yet to listen to uh, Seventh Day Slumber, more on the heavy side, you know, not the guttural vocals, but it's it's more on the heavy side. That's stuff that punches you, but it's got melody like I love. So uh, that's pretty cool. Was it more like a classic country style or what, what type of band was it? Uh, you know, George Strait and some okay. Brooks and Dunn and like uh, younger, we were we were that was the only way you could make money in Texas. So once I uh, actually learned how to my, play my instrument and wasn't in a hardcore band anymore, we started a little country band that could actually get paid. And uh, I was like 15 playing in honky tonks. And we started by getting paid in like beer under the table as a 15 <laughs> year old. But, you know, it was uh, we actually started making a little bit of money. And so. I did that, but I also used to do mixed martial arts, jujitsu and Muay Thai fight in the cage and stuff like that. So I'll be damned. That's, that's cool, another man. hobby. Yeah, I did some jujitsu for a few years. I, well, I'm not going to say like I was good at it, but I, <laughs> I did love it. Oh, if you could have dinner with any one person living or not, who would it be and why? Uh, if I could have dinner with any one person living or not, who would it be? Um, dang, that's so good. I, uh, honestly, probably Chester from Lincoln Park and I'm not to bring it down, but, but I, I would have dinner with him. Just tell him he's loved. Yeah. Chill with the dude. You know what I mean? And I don't know, man. I don't know why that came to my mind right now. It was just that, that just kind of hit me so yeah. yeah yeah no i i don't think that's bringing it down at all joseph i think it's showing a lot of love and that there is a man's artistry and let alone we had actually talked to his son jamie on uh, bennington on here and you know so totally get where an answer like that would come from it's from a place of love so seen uh, too many seen too many gone man and um and missed opportunities and i not that i had the opportunity to sit with him um but others have and and i imagine there are probably others that are like man i i wished i could have that moment back and so um the, yeah so remember guys tomorrow is not promised to us man so make sure you're loving on the ones today i know we get busy we run out of time and those kinds of things but man make some time today well joseph uh Thank you. I mean, I usually ask for the words of inspiration or anything you could throw out, but you already did. You got it covered. You pro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go ahead and leave, and you finish this by yourself. <laughs> Shoot, I want to sit in that nice place you're at right there, man. Y'all got a coffee? Y'all got a little coffee house close by? We do. We absolutely do. Well, but, man, I hope to get to get to meet you in person. Shouts out to Jeffrey Nauman. That's the homie, man. So yeah. Likewise. Thank you. This, uh, I really appreciate it. And just, uh, being a part of that, uh, you know, for me, the, the calling came in a way I would have never expected to, you know, to try to spread the word on not only addiction, but mental health related stuff. So, you know, it means a lot that you give up your time for, you know, what I'm, what I'm hoping touches at least one person, uh, yeah. when they listen. So, you know, appreciate it. It's an honor, bro. It's an honor. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors.
Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.